Hey everyone, welcome to another Vertex Outdoors podcast. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Got a good episode coming up for you here uh, with my good friend Ethan Coons. We used to work together. I uh, grew up going to high school together and that sort of thing. Um, so it's definitely a, a good informative episode on mountain hunting, just kind of the 101 of uh, kind of trying to get it done on mountain land. So hope you enjoy that. Um, also, if you don't mind just leaving us a review or a rating um, on the podcast, it just allows us to not only just let us know what kind of content we're putting out, um, you know, helps us make improvements that way, but also just kind of helps us get out there with recognition. Um, you know, obviously, since we're doing this, we want to want to be able to reach as many people as possible. It's not about us, you know, getting famous or anything like that. It's really not about that. We just want to put people out there. Um, we kind of want to use this platform as an opportunity to just put other people out there. Um, there's a lot of people across Pennsylvania that are really good at hunting, really good at fishing, um, and they just really have a lot to offer knowledge-wise. Um, so we just want to take advantage of that. Um, you know, anybody who hunts the East Coast, Pennsylvania, New York, um, that sort of thing, Maryland, Delaware, like just a lot of hunting pressure on the East Coast. And we, I just really feel like if you can get it done on the East Coast, um, you can probably get it done pretty much anywhere. And if you're able to get on deer, um, you know, fishing's good, um, then, then you have something that you can bring to the table. Everybody kind of does, does things their own way um, and has something to offer that way. Um, so at any rate, we just want to make sure we're putting out the best content possible. So if you don't mind, we would just love it if you could leave us a rating, comment, that sort of thing. Just let us know how we're doing. Um, also, if you know somebody that would be good on the podcast, um, or if you would be good on the podcast, you yourself, just go ahead and shoot us a message. Um, you know, we would love to have as many people on as possible. Um, you know, I have a family and stuff like that. So scheduling can be a little bit difficult. We do have um, some guests lined up, but we would really love to get as many people on as possible um, just to put content out there. Um, you know, it doesn't even have to be an hour long, even if it's just 15, 20 minutes. Like we're just about putting information out there that guys are going to be able to relate to um, and hopefully take away. You know, it only takes that one extra little piece of information to put the puzzle together. And that's, that's what we're looking to provide. Um, so at any rate, um, we just up, wrapped up Veterans Day. Just want to do a quick shout out to all the veterans. Um, just thank you very much. You are the reason that we get to do what we do. Um, and it's not taken for granted. So um, thank you for that. Also, uh, best of luck to anybody who's still out there trying to fill a tag with the remainder of the season. Um, we got a week to go here in archery season, and then uh, rifle season's coming up. So, fortunately, uh, my tags are pretty well filled outside of a doe tag, thanks to a, a great little rutcation. So, um, but hope you enjoy the episode, and thanks for tuning in. All right, what's going on, everybody? I'm here with my good buddy, Ethan Coons. Um, we are currently driving, so if you hear some of the, the background noise, uh, just try to ignore that. But we just got done working, getting ready for our rutcation. Um, so we figured now would be a great time to just for me to pick his brain. Um, very 
very experienced in comparison to myself uh, as far as hunting big mountain properties and that sort of thing but I'll let you just kind of you can do a background on yourself yeah um you know I've Andrew and I've you know been friends since high school and uh you know hunting has been probably my first love and one of my only loves in my life um you know I've been hunting since I was 12 um know rifle hunting started archery hunting when I was 14 and uh, shot my first buck with a bow um, which was what got me kicked into the whole archery scene and now uh, most of the time I frankly could care less to use a gun um, archery is you know kind of takes center stage this time of year you know life is hectic trying to run a business and you know also take the time to attempt to do property management or scouting or you know topographical maps and going and searching new properties you know along with traveling from state to state to state for work amongst you know seeing the girlfriend and stuff like that so every chance I get um, you know I'm, I'm in the woods and this time of year November 5th it's prime time baby can't get much better than right now overcast a little bit of rain and we're working instead of hunting. <laughs> For now, we're on our way. On our way. So, um, but yeah, so you hunt a mix, a mix of private and state, state land, state game yeah. lands. Um, naturally, kind of want to dive more into the state land aspect. Um, I guess if you want to just for sake of just diving right into it uh, walk us through your process um, obviously we have a ton of state forests around us so like when you're looking basically how you go about the process of finding state land that you want to hunt uh, you know as far as new pieces right sort of I feel thing. like it's easier now than it's ever been with the apps that you have you know you can get on your phone you know like on X hunt plug for them um, and you know hunt stand plug for them and all different kinds of other topographical map or hunting apps that you can use make it really easy for someone who takes the time to learn what they're looking at and even if you don't really know what you're looking at but you know trial and error um, throw it out the wall and see what sticks um, you know when you're looking at 40,000 acre you know public land parcels it's a lot you know and unless you go in and you're buying all the extra things you can on the apps to get you know the niddle grit you know down to the details you know you don't necessarily know what you're all looking at so what I like to do first and foremost is find access that's probably one of the three or four different things that I really start looking into um, where parking areas are where roads are mountain roads that are open to the public where people can drive their trucks I'm a firm believer that most people don't take hunting as serious as I do and most people are gonna be pressing deer pressure hunting state land is in my mind 80% of the battle is pressure from weekend warrior hunters that you know are just in there for gun season or or whether it's turkey season or hikers or anywhere because Pennsylvania is one of the most high-pressured states 
uh, that you can hunt in, so it does not take much to move deer around. So parking areas and access is where I tend to start first. So I find a block that I'm looking to hunt, um, and I go in a map all the roads. You know, I look at the topographical map, and I find areas that have a lot of change in elevation, have a lot of valleys, ravines, and topography to it. And then once I find that particular piece that I may be interested in looking at, the very first thing I do is look at how close that is to any sort of road. In my opinion, if it's half a mile hike. So not, not just parking area, but road in general. Road in general. Yeah, anywhere that anyone can park their vehicle and get to that spot. You know, so wherever those roads are, I kind of, you know, if you have a road a mile to the south and a mile to the north, you know, that means, you know, right there in the middle is probably your best bet. Right. So my goal is to try and find the deepest hole that you can find if the topographical maps or the, the flats or the ridges are all, you know, something that you're interested in looking at and then going to those points. So do you... Do you have like a set distance, um, like say a half mile, like, like you will hunt, basically you walk in at least a half mile before you're seriously looking at any any potential sign or hunting area like that. Like do you set, do you, like do you have a set number for that or are you just, I, I, like you try to be at least a half mile away from any possible I, parking. Yeah. I want, I want like to be, a, I want to be a half a mile at least because yeah. most people, you know, they're, they're gonna walk in the woods, they're gonna go back a couple hundred yards, and then once they get back two, 300 yards, they're like, okay, now I'm either gonna go north, south, east, or west and try and find sign, and you know, this is roughly where I'm gonna hunt. So getting beyond that and finding sign beyond that, now it could be a half a mile, it could be a mile. I mean, we have some spots that, you know, that I've taken you to, that, you know, where if you have to park at the gate, and you have to hike all the way up, you know, you're almost a mile, you know, to where we're yeah, looking at hunting. At one state land spots, a mile. Right. So, but when you're back there, you're all alone. You know, all the pressure once you're in your spot, now granted, you're, you're having to get up pretty early and you're having to hike on you. But once you're in there, you know, it's open season. I mean, there's right. no one else is around you. Um, so I, I personally feel some of the best hunting parcels in the state of Pennsylvania are on state game lands. I mean, we are very blessed in Pennsylvania to have all the game property that is available to us. It's just if someone takes the time to put on the boots and go. Right. I mean, there's been a lot of experiences that I've had where it doesn't work out. You know, you, you go in on a map and you look at something that you think would probably be good and you hike in there and you're just, there's just not a lot of sign. You know, there's ridges, there's valleys, there's, you know, creek bottoms or something of that nature, but, you know, you more or less just put an X through it and you keep going. Right. Yeah, well, because, like, I mean, for me, obviously, I grew up hunting private property, uh, which is kind of privy to that when I started out hunting. So I didn't, really didn't do any state state land any kind of mountain hunting until you and I started hunting together mm -hmm. uh, which is 
it took I mean it was definitely a process like you and I going out scouting scouting around together right um, I mean you because I like on private land I'm used to looking for like heavier trails just because they're so frequently traveled whereas state land in the mountains you don't get that sort of sign right um, like it's usually not that heavy right um, so it was kind of adjusting to that but like somebody who's not familiar with a hunting mountain terrain which I wasn't you know we would go out and I would see a little bit of mountain laurel here a little bit of mountain laurel there that's just like okay I could kind of see how it's bedding right um, but I'm the kind of guy who was used to just yeah and out of ignorance I was used to seeing un- like CRP like exactly stuff heavy, that's heavy, definitely like your hands down like heavy. this is definite bedding um, so like, you know, obviously all this information, um, for, for anybody who doesn't know how to hunt mountain land, uh, is going to be very useful, uh, cause it gives them a little bit of a, a tool to go up and say, okay, you know, look for this, this, and this. Um, so like terrain features, elevation you talked about, um, I guess is so, and then like. Can you dive into a little bit, like once, let's say, let's say you go part way up a mountain, um, you're on an oak flat, but there's oak trees everywhere. Like, how are you, because a lot of it is really similar. Um, like, are you able to just, like, describe any, like, small yeah. details? That so, you... when I, when I first do my, my scouting, when I start, okay, you know, I'm, I'm more or less, I'm just busting through. You know, I'm looking for terrain more than anything if it resembles what was on the phone you know on my phone on my app and you know I'm I'm looking for oak trees looking for pin oaks you know redwood red oaks um, looking for uh, cedar thickets you know when you're in the mountains you know you, you have a, a various species of woods so you're looking for different species of, of woods hardwood softwoods trying to find that because that's that in itself is still a terrain difference deer are creatures of edge so right when you have a hard oak flat and you have pines and cedars on that same flat that's created an edge so as i'm going through you know i'm marking on my phone uh you know different different spots such as you know which oak, you know depending on the time of year which oak trees have a lot of acorns which ones don't um, i take my binos with me a lot and i check those out um, you know how how far away is the closest water source? Um, you know, on, where's where's the valley? You know, on the ridge on a mountain. You know, if you got an oak flat on the top of the mountain and it spans for 800 yards, and you got piles of oak trees. You know, well that's kind of blah. Right. You know, where, where are you going to go? So if it all looks the same, then you have to kind of like you said, you're looking for a needle in a haystack, so to speak, for some of these mountain trails. You know, you don't have they're not blatantly obvious sometimes where you have a real heavy use trail where it's like oh here they are so a lot of times it's a trial and error process but you know it gets you within a general area that you can start setting cameras i'm a big component of cameras huge huge component of cameras i run as many as i can frankly afford and uh you know and start my process of eliminating certain areas by using cameras um, you know, when you've got oak flats, which are one of my favorite places to hunt personally, especially, I mean, it's one of the only areas that I know of that you, in big timber, that you can hunt almost from the start of the season till the end of the season. Right. 
I mean, you got your food source in the beginning of the season when your acorns are dropping. And then as the acorn crop is being eaten by squirrels and all, you know, deer and all other kinds of animals, and that kind of gets light, that's pulling you into the pre-rut time frame when you have does still looking to pick what acorns are left from whether they're red oaks that are dropping later or they're looking to eat the red oaks later or pin oaks. Um, so there's still a little bit of food there. And then by doing that, you know, it becomes a great cruising area for bucks to go on the downwind side of that flat or the, you know, in, in working that area. I mean, that's one of the main places that I sit for cruising bucks in the pre-rut is on oak flats or, you know, ridges up flats on the mountain. You know, at benches, you know, mainly are what they right. are. You know, so you're not, most of the time, you're, uh, a flat bench still obviously has slope to it, but you're, it's only a 60, 80 yard bench before it goes up, you know, up in elevation and it goes up to the next flat. So uh, sitting on that downwind side as best as you can for that next flat, you know, gives you a great opportunity to uh, potentially pick up, you know, cruising bucks. Right. So, so you're putting cameras out. Um, obviously, deer are either on it or they're not. Right. Um, right. Like, I guess, how, like, how picky are you getting, like, as far as the amount of deer that you're looking for on a camera? Like, are you looking, like, let's say you get all does, you're up and moving, obviously, right. more obviously we're after bucks so you're right. up, up and moving cameras from there or you just you're just going next best spot you know that you see right a lot of times what I'll do um, is you know I, I remember try I try and memory bank as much or upload to my my laptop as many photos as I can when I'm in the woods I take my laptop in even though it's not necessarily ideal um, you know you can easily just pull the card and you know check them later but I have a problem that I get too excited to check my cameras so I tend to uh, have to check them right then and now so I take my laptop with me so I can save uh, the pictures as you know as much most of them as I can I mean I don't save all of them obviously but you know I probably have three to five thousand pictures on my laptop that I that I save or from years past or or even if they're does and the reason why I save those photos mainly are because I try and use that data as much as I can, when I, first and foremost, when I get frustrated, right. you know, and I'm, I'm sitting, you know, and I'm, I'm looking for, I'm looking for certain deer or I'm having trouble, uh, whether it's most of the time it's during that October lull, right before the rut starts popping off and pre-rut activity. And I'm trying to get on a certain buck or, you know, bucks in general, get in the game, so to speak. So a lot of times I go back to my cameras and look at pictures, regardless of whether they're does or bucks, and trying to figure out what times they're going to be on, or what times they were on the camera, and then going back, uh, looking at the weather charts and figuring out what wind they were, you know, using that area, you know, and try and piece something together that makes sense that I can either scrap it or, you know, go to another spot or have a reason to help make up my mind on where I want to sit because all of our sets as hunters, you know, especially, you know, fathers and, you know, working, you know, we don't get a lot. So everyone kind of has to count. Right. So 
most of the time, early season is my observation period where I'm just attempting to piece something together. I mean, I've had luck, a lot of luck actually, in the pre-rut phase and pre, you know, and during just the, the feeding phase, you know, early season. Um, but most of the time I spend just scouting from the tree and, you know, hoping I get lucky. But back to the cameras and what I'm looking for most of the time is I'm all about heavy trails for, or lack thereof, but on trails, what deer are using them, when they're using them, and then trying to put together on a map and figuring out, you know, movement of the animals. So that's cameras and, you know, the topographical maps are what really help me be successful and have, gives me a general focus on a new piece of property, public property that I'm, you know, attempting to harvest a deer on. Right. So, um, you got your cameras out, cameras are set, obviously you got some intel. You go in, let's say first sit, um, and let's say in this particular scenario, you don't see any deer that sit. Mm-hmm. Um, Obviously, we know that for everybody who gets to hunt, time time is of the essence. Right. Uh, not necessarily over pressuring yourself to, to shoot something, but um, you know, working working toward in the chess match that right. you want to get on them. Um, so, like you have your first set, let's say in that area, you don't see any deer. Are you giving it another set, or are you kind of moving moving to a near area right away? Um, just obviously, I know what you're doing, but just. <laughs> Just for people who, uh, who well, have never hunted. Most, and, uh, most of the time, you know, if I'm going into a, a new spot, a new site, um, and I'm setting up on, depending on what wind I was sitting there, you know, if I have that continuation of a wind, whether it's, if it's on a flat and I'm expecting deer to mosey through there, I may just adjust for the wind and sit there an evening set. You know, if it's more of what I'm used to doing is sitting on the mountain, Obviously, your deer movement tends to go up and down the mountain in the morning and evening. So, most of the time, I'll adjust by a couple hundred yards here or there. Um, possibly, maybe only, you know, a hundred yards or two yards, and kind of work the wind to hunt that area. I mean, if it's dead and I'm sitting there, you know, early season is you know hit or miss. A lot of times, deer are in their natural food cover, food cover, food cover. So you just have to find food, find cover, and, you know, it's going to come together eventually, so I'll move, I mean, a lot of times, you know, everyone, well, I shouldn't say everyone, but the rat race that tends to happen for most hunters, archery hunters, that is, is we got all these piles of pictures of these massive bucks in velvet all summer long, we're getting fired up, we're getting tuned up to go hunting, you know, the first day's coming, you know, we have so much anticipation. We have so much anxiety and stress already just to try and get it done. And it's the first day. Right. So being that, you know, the older and older I get when it comes to, in, to hunting, you know, the more I tend to try and reserve that as much as possible. Obviously, I still get super psyched, super pumped. You know, just like, for example, we're going tomorrow. You know, our vacation is tomorrow. I'm freaking out. <laughs> I'm pretty jacked up, dude. But 
it's all about keeping that cool mindset early in the season, knowing that it's a marathon, it's not a sprint. So trusting the process. Trusting the process, exactly. You know, trusting the process. You put all that work in in the summers. You know, a lot of times in the summers, you know, I'll hike probably 20 or 30 miles easy when it comes to scouting. Now, granted, it's not always, uh, you know, a 10-mile hike in or anything like that, but it's just repetitive, trying to pick up something that I missed, trying to really pin down trees that I would like to sit in and what winds they may work on, what winds they don't. So most of the time where I have a spot that I have thought about hunting, you know, I'll, I'll normally have a wind direction that I'll hunt it on. And if I can't hunt it on that wind or if it doesn't work out in the morning, I most of the time will just move and make it work for that, for that evening hunt or for another hunt. But, you know, a lot of times, you know, early season, you're trying to get in the game you're just trying to lay eyes on something so a lot of times you'll move around and you know you sit you sit two hunts in a certain area you're not seeing a lot of activity then you bounce you know you move to another spot and you know you sit two hunts there and you know you're you're bouncing around to try and find some resemblance of consistent deer movement but a lot of that results back to your cameras that you know your cameras is are doing more work than what you know most people can do in a summer to give you right. as much intel right. as you can. Yeah. Um, so I guess uh, I guess we'll hop into this a little bit more deeper here, getting closer to um, rut time frame. So we walk through what you're looking for to go through on a property. Um, got good intel on the camera as you're starting to hone in on a spot we'll say we're working up to pre-rut time frame um and this scenario that we're working with here we'll say you got good buck or two on camera like feel like you're in an area um how are you shifting then because uh, obviously early season you talked about hunting over acorns um you know being close to cover or food uh, how, how are you shifting then as we go from pre-rut to more of what we're at now, rut time frame? Uh, like, how does it look different um, from, from what it did before? Obviously, you, you talked about setting up on Oak Flats for cruising. Like, right. are you just doing that whole I'm, I mean, I'm, time? Or? I'm, I don't like to complicate hunting more than it already is because it's hard enough just to you know get a good big you know a good buck on the ground um so transition spots are mainly my key you know i'm i'm a little bit of a chicken when it comes to obviously depending on how much opportunity i have to hunt but early season i'm you know i really don't go anywhere near any kind of bedding i mean i try and stay in that transition period you know transition spots um more open you know where you're less likely to have encounters on big bucks but you could uh as the season wanes and you know you're getting closer to the pre-rut activity you know you're starting to see you know rubbing activity and scrape activity as soon as i see the first scrapes i throw all of my uh reserve out the window and i'm hunting rub lines and i'm hunting scrapes so that 
October 20th, 23rd, you know, 15th, 18th area, that time frame, you know, the latter end of the quote-unquote October lull that they say is there, all of my attention is being honed in on rub lines because bucks are still traveling those patterns, you know, they're starting to, you know, create their scrape lines, you know, rub lines, and that's more or less what I am focused, I'm, I'm taking my cameras down, I'm moving my cameras to those areas, and I'm kind of trying to hone in on, okay, what bucks are making these, and, you know, getting a little more aggressive, obviously, to try and find, you know, the best opportunity to potentially steal one. You know, right. get a buck up, you know, where that I didn't really know that he was there, but he left me, you know, a clue and try and put the puzzle together early. Um, and I'll do that probably up until the October, you know, last week of October, where in Pennsylvania, that's when things are starting to pop off. You know, that, that first, that first doe can come into estrus. And, you know, frankly, once that first doe comes into estrus, those scrapes become less and less important. I mean, they're still important, but they become less and less and less important. And then at that point, it's all about your betting. In my mind, find betting, find the access to the downwind side of that betting, and the trails that are going in and out of it, and just try and set up, you know, as close as you can to it without busting any deer that are in there out, and look for those cruising bucks because. I feel that the best opportunity to shoot a quality whitetail is when they're cruising. You know, most of the time when you have a buck that's running a doe or with other bucks that's running a doe, the likelihood of you pulling him off of that doe is slim. Or even just getting him to or, stop. Or even, yeah, yeah, right, even getting him to stop. So, you know, cruising is really all I focus on in the rut. I mean, having bucks searching those, you know, seeking and chasing, seeking and chasing. Because once they start betting, you know, locking does down, I mean, it's good night, Irene. You know, you're you're going to have to move to a different area where there's not, you know, does being locked down, and it actually becomes really frustrating. You know, you're in the prime time, everything's supposed to be happening, and you're sitting in your tree stand, and you got crickets. So, the number one thing I look to do is move to that, that, like I said, that oak flat between bedding areas or, um, you know, thick CRP, you know, there is a little bit of that in the mountains where they clear cut and you have a lot of, uh, new growth coming up, a lot of, you know, trees that's high stem count where there's a lot of bedding, um, you know, because there's getting a lot of pressure too, you know, there, you know, there's a lot of hunters that take this week off to go hunting, you know, that's when, you know, mountain, you know, we had, thank, uh, we had turkey season come in, we had, youth season come in, you know, muzzleloader. So you're having a lot more pressure in the mountains to where earlier in the season you didn't have that. So that's why getting back, you know, that half mile as a starter and then starting from there. I mean, I've had great opportunities on great sign up close to the road, but that's going to get burned out within, you know, a week or two. I mean, Look, for example, uh, Andy Willits, you know, that pro- private property, he had an opportunity to hunt early season. You even had a chance to hunt it early season. Right. And, you know, within a couple of weeks, you know, with the surrounding properties that, you know, it gets burned out. And right now, it's like, it's pointless. Right. So, it, it's really 
to me, you know, I, I, I don't like being around people right. <laughs> when it comes to hunting. You know, I, I don't have a problem uh, hiking in. You know, I'm a huge, com, you know, component of if you can go two miles, go two miles. If you can go three miles, go three miles. Right. Yeah, the drag sucks, but it'll be worth it in the end. Right. There's a, there's a payoff being willing to go past for good spot deer, buck sign whatever i most of the time i don't even look at it and i just keep going yeah so um obviously talking about like running time frame cruising bucks walk me through a little bit of your calling process how you're using sense i know you're you tend to lean towards uh less calling rather than more because a lot of people tend to do more than less right um, so walk me through like if you're just doing calling on contact like actually getting having a visual of a deer whether right. it's 200 yards away or whatever right. um, are you doing any blind calling just uh yeah. yeah i'll roll into it i'm scent wise i'm a huge component you know for example when you're Again, I'm all about the, the seeking and chasing phase between bedding areas where bucks are, are cruising, looking for hot does, you know, looking for does that are bedded down that are trying to get away from those pesky young yearlings that won't leave them alone, and, you know, looking for those mature deer. So their nose is to the ground 90% of the time. Right. You know, they're trying to find that first whiff of something that even is a resemblance of a hot doe. So I'm a huge component on doe estrus. I do drag lines into my stand. I do drag lines from my stand out. You know, yes, I understand it takes a little bit more time. And a lot of people would disagree with me that it'd be better to get into your stand quietly and, and not disturb the area. But if you're doing an all day sit and you know, you're looking for cruising bucks, most of the time where you're sitting, those bucks aren't right there anyway. Right. So, yeah, you could be close, but I'm doing a drag line in. I'm putting scent wicks out. I'm more or less trying to make the entire area stink like a doe asterisk. Right. So, once I have that set up and I get up in my stand as quietly as possible, from that point on, I'm all about calling on contact unless it's, you know... For example, if we go in on a morning sit and, you know, I'm hunting on a downwind side of potential cruising areas between two bedding areas and I have a drag line, you know, coming through that area or my access that I got through and my wind's blowing back behind me and uh, there's potential cruising opportunities on a creek bottom or something like that. So, yes, I know my scent, even though we attempt to eliminate them as much as possible, is still affecting that area but that's why i also try and like to hang scent wicks because as a cover scent as a cover scent for example bucks are in their most vulnerable state you know this time of year so even though we are doing the best that we can possibly do to eliminate human odor we can't fool a you know a mature deer's nose for very long minimal at best so if you're able to give them what they want and give them that doe estrus and that drag line and those things that kind of so, takes their mind off yeah. of human so, scent. So he might come along and say, you know, start sniffing around and he might smell, he might smell you say, Hey Ethan. And then he might say, Oh, there's Linda. Hey, Li Linda. Linda's pretty. Uh, he's going, okay. Yep. So, so 
he's chasing Linda knowing that I'm here. <laughs> and Linda's a naughty girl. <laughs> so he's all about Linda. So he may come in. Sorry, Linda, if you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> he may come in wary. But he's more interested in that hot dough. Right. They just, I mean, he naturally, they're, they tend to be a little more on the stupid side right. during the rut, right. which we love. That's why everybody which, loves it. Exactly. <laughs> That's why we love the rut. Because if it wouldn't be for the rut, I don't think we'd be killing half the big deer that we kill. Fair. Not just you and me. I'm talking everyone. So... That's my tendency as far as the scent goes, because if you have a, for example, if you have a cruising buck on the downwind side of you, obviously that's not your intention, but you can't always tell which way they're coming from. Right. So if you don't have anything there to otherwise distract him. Right. Especially, most, especially in this scenario, since correct. we're trying to go, like, correct. you know, new to mountain hunting or new, whatever. Right. Exactly. Area, you know, if you're, if you're new to mountain hunting, it's, <laughs> if there's a field you can find, it's a lot easier. <laughs> But, right. but if you're new to mountain hunting, you know, it's all about the little details because you will not have nearly as many chances in the mountains as you potentially would on field edge or ag hunting or something like that. So the few opportunities that you do have, you have to cash in as best as possible. Right. You know, in the most mountains, they look like a lot of monotony. You know, there's trees, there's more trees, there's more trees. So when you are finally able to get to the pre-rut, you know, you did all the things. You got on, you know, you got on your topographical maps. You know, you were looking at them, you were finding areas. You hung cameras, you know, all year long. You know, checking cameras, moving stands, you know, doing your observation sets that we talked about. Sitting on oak flats. And you finally got to a spot where you're able to okay, this is where I'm going to try and hunt the rut. You know, I may have an opportunity at, you know, seeing a nice, you know, a nice three-year-old. And, you know, you're getting down to the wire. You want to be able to cash in on the one opportunity that you may have on that particular deer. So I am a firm believer of being more cautious when it comes to the calling than I am on scent side the scent side right on the scent side i'm loading up and as much as i possibly can and when it comes to the calling being that pennsylvania is one of the most hunted states right and the natural tendency of the rut for most hunters is oh they're going to be responsible you know they're going to respond to calls i'm just going to call all the time because i don't want to sit in my tree stand for five hours and not see anything so they're getting called at a lot right so most of the time, again, where I'm trying to sit is once that pressure from all those other hunters is pushing those deer right. back to me, they've already been grunted at, they've already been rattled at, they've already potentially been shot at. So even though it's a lot less than during gun season, they're still having that effect of, of from human scent and human interaction. Right. So I'm more of a call on contact kind of thing and see what the deer is looking to do you know if I got a buck that's cruising through and you know he's not going to be coming to bow range it's a buck that I was looking to shoot and I'm just trying to do a contact run just to get him to stop just to recognize that there's something here and you know potentially have him come and you know get a whiff of that doe estrus or, or something of that right. nature you know I'm going to do that on contact and you know if it's if it's a uh, a buck that's 
not stopping. You know, I'll potentially throw out a Snorweez. That's more, more or less my last resort. You know, a Snorweez is one of the things that I throw out there that I'm grunting. I do a couple light grunts. He keeps walking away, getting farther away. I grunt a little louder. If he stops and recognizes that I grunted, and then he puts his head back down, I'll throw a Snorweez. You know, most of the time when you throw a Snorweez, that's probably going to turn him around a lot faster than just keep grunting at a deer. Well, it's going to turn him around one way or the other. One, yeah. Whether it's the good, the good way or the bad way. Yeah, so more or less you're throwing all your eggs in a basket on a Snorweez, but, you know, again, you're only going to have a few opportunities right. at a chance. So you have to try and be as effective as possible. Um, when it comes to rattling, I personally, I like to rattle. You know, if you're sitting in a on the outside edges of bedding and you know you're not up in it, you right. know, and... Well, I think that's, I guess that's the key to get into with the scent as well. Like, you're yeah. you're not right on the bedding. Like, so when you're walking around to do your drag line right. and hang your scent, you're right. not you're not so close that you're worried about bumping Bump deer, deer out of bedding or anything like that. Exactly. Because I, I want to throw that out no, there. No, absolutely. Yeah, because I'm, when, you're only, when you're hunting right up against bedding, it's as quiet as you can get in your stand and... Right. I'm probably just doing observation most of the day and right. maybe throwing one or two. If it's a really calm day, I might throw one or two slow grunts into that bedding area and that's it. I mean, right. I'm just letting it happen on its own. But I feel that you have more success by getting back away from that a little bit and being able to recreate or try and fool a buck's mind that something is going on over there that's not happening here right so well if, if a buck's in bedding it's because it's an area that they're super familiar with super right. comfortable with right so depending on what you're throwing at them right super close they're gonna say well this definitely is not right exactly if you're off in the distance a little ways right um, you know if you're 100 if you're 100 150 yards away from the bedding area and you're able to potentially see down in that area you know right your morning started out slow. You're not seeing a whole lot. And this time of year, you know, well, I like if when I rattle, I like to rattle appropriate to the time. You know, if right. it's if it's early pre-rut, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna lightly tickle them together. Nothing aggressive. But for example, now it's gonna be bashing them together like it's an all-out war. Right. And I feel like I get a lot of response from. Granted, a lot of times it's young bucks, you know, one and two-year-olds that are rolling in. But there's been an occasion, multiple actually, where I've had good bucks come in. Now, granted, they always didn't, didn't always come in close enough, but at least respond to the rattle sequence or the calling sequence of any kind to at least let me know that, hey, there's something here I can potentially work with. Right. Um, I guess... Well, one nice part, too, I don't know how many guys actually think about it. Like, when you're calling and you call in a younger deer, or really any other deer in general, like, the nice part is, it like, that deer it is optimizes your and laying down their natural scent. Exactly. Um, so, let's say you do a rattle later in the day, or a grunt, or whatever, and bucks coming in. Depending on how open the area is, and they don't see something, then they start to get a little spooky. But if they're coming in, they might pick up, you know, at least a little bit of that deer scent when he was there earlier. Right. Um, you know, obviously you don't 
don't rely on anything like that, but it's just another advantage. Because I know some, I've heard of stories of, you know, some people like to try and, like, even though it's a deer they're not going to shoot, you know, they might try and run at them or something like that, and they spook off. Which, right. Um, like, there's studies that, like, if they're spooked or whatever, they lay a different scent. Exactly. If you're able to bring any deer by you, it just betters your area from right. your trees down. Especially when the number one thing that bucks at this time are using is their nose. Right. In the seeking and chasing phase. Right. So it's not a whole lot of rocket science of what I'm what I do. I just don't like to put myself I don't like to be aggressive to the point where I put myself out of the game before I even get in it. Right. So yeah. End of the season, latter end of the rut, next week or week after it's going to be rifle season and it's all over game over from there yeah then i'm going to push in i'm going to slap right up against the bedding area i'm going to do the best i can but even now you know i only have four days left to hunt this season i'm going to take it cautious because you have four full days to try and put something together on a certain hunting piece of property to hunt potential Right. It's all, all about being smart rather yes. than reckless. Yes. Um, so I guess one thing to hit on real quick with the calling and your scent use. Uh, like what time What time in the year? Like are you basically Halloween and after? Or, I mean... I'm not rattling before the last week of October. Right. You know, I'm... I'm you are, know, you, uh, are you using... Because, I mean, there are some early estrus does that will come in. Right. Some some will come in mid and even towards obviously the latter end of October they, they right. definitely come in. Um, so, so are you using scents at that time frame or are you pretty much wait until Halloween or after November? Like I'm more of a I like to use scents all year, but time but time appropriate. Time appropriate. So I'll use buck urine if I have it. If I have it, I'll use buck urine almost all year. Right. Just because that helps calm any potential deer that are coming in. Right. Just to let them know that, hey, another deer has been here, you know, and, you know, because they're picking up when you're ozone, you know, they're picking up when poten your potential scent. Any opportunity you can calm deer down when they're by you, you know, it's going to give them, relax them and give you a better opportunity to potentially take a shot, you know, or get them closer or any of that. But it's time appropriate, yes. Uh, yeah, I think that's, that's about all I got. I guess, uh, one other question I actually have would be for everybody listening. Like, what if you could give everybody listening one piece of advice in reference to, we'll say, mountain hunting, since it's just something that not many people talk about. What, like, what would your piece of advice be, or even two? <laughs> My piece of advice for mountain hunting probably would be don't go into a piece of property, which we've already discussed, any mountain property, um, and expect to see blazing trails of any sign, of any kind. You know, you're not going to see, you know, field edge, cow paths that you are, you know, oh, well, this is obvious. This is where we're going to sit. You know, very rarely do you see those in the mountain. And if you're, that's all you're looking for, you're going to get very frustrated and most of the time right. give up. Um, so most of the sign that you're looking for is light sign. You know, you can tell this is a deer trail. You can tell, uh, you know, and a lot of times I just walk them, walk the deer right. trail, find out what it's doing. 
you know, why, why is there a deer trail here? Um, you know, so look for a light move, light sign and key in on that light sign. Um, that's probably one thing as far as from the observation of the beginning of the season. Um, secondly, look for topography. Most mountains are very blah, you know, very monotonous, very much the same. Look for where you have changes in elevation drastically, where you have ridges and ravines that are not the same as the 500 yards to the east or 500 yards to the west, you know, or, you know, a mile to the east or a mile to the west. Look on that map in a broad view when you're looking at a large parcel of acreage that you can find and zone in on where you have a lot of different topography coming together and focus in on that part first regardless of where it is cite that out before you move on to anything else right and i guess i that was kind of two i have one more here you know mountain deer need water just like any other deer anywhere else so if you have a little stream or you have any kind of uh water hole or anything like that you know down in the bottoms that's something that i would also look into right yeah i guess uh that's probably the biggest thing to keep in mind anybody who's gonna be going out and trying mountain hunting new to it is like yeah it can happen the first year obviously like that's always a total possibility but just you know if it doesn't come together your first year or season out trying it like right it, it's definitely a process i've found that so far myself but like we're i mean what three four um, this will be the fourth i year. think this is our fourth this year is, yeah. this is my fourth year into it and i mean you know we haven't had a shot at any buck yet just because of our lack of hunting time but right. as far as cameras are concerned like oh, they're we're, there we're on them yeah. Or they're on them, I should they're, say. Yeah, they're there. Uh, so it's just, you know, just be willing to, to buy into the process. You yeah. know, if you're looking for that light sign, which in the mountains is and, essentially as heavy sign as you're going to get. And again, uh, to add to add back to this, not to be long-winded, but acorns are huge. Right. There's no corn. There's no soybeans. There's no, you know, alfalfa or clover fields. Right. The only food source that you're really going to, short of, uh, you know, new vegetation, new excuse me, new vegetation stems, is acorn crop. Right. If you can find that acorn crop, you're going to be in the game no matter where you're yeah. at. So it's just yeah, just buy into the process. Um, acorns and bedding and just edges. Yep. Topography, geography, all that. All of it. All, all, all the stuffs. <laughs> and Linda. And Linda. Yes. And Linda. Linda, so I think <laughs> that's all. I think that's all I got. I mean, if there's anything else, uh, I don't know. No, I mean, when it comes to mountain hunting, uh, you know, it's perseverance, man. It really is. I mean, it's not you're, It's not easy, but it's actually probably one of the most gratifying things once you do get on them. Right. I feel mountain hunting and, you know, grunting that, you know, 130-inch buck from across, you know, a ridge, which are de- which are definitely there, and <laughs> pulling them in to, you know, within bow range and then being successful, uh, it doesn't get much higher than that, in yeah. my opinion. Yeah, yeah. So, if you can hunt in the mountains, you can hunt anywhere, especially in Pennsylvania. Right. So I guess on that note, that'll do it, and hopefully uh, we'll. 
Hopefully we'll talk to you all after a successful vacation. Yeah. That's right. Lay the slap down on it.